I'm Liz Rogers. And I'm Maxie McGuire. And this is In the Village, a podcast about stories under the deck. Listen, subscribe, and share us online. Find more information on www.inthebilge.com. We're here, Maxie. Here we go. It's finally happened. Uh, my name is Liz Rogers. And Maxie McGuire. And this is In the Bilge. It's a podcast about stories under the deck and the maritime industry. And we've been waiting for years to do this, haven't we? It's been a, it's been a vision we started out uh, years ago with to, uh, to kind of talk about what happens behind the scenes with anything and everything uh, in the marine world. We've had a lot of conversations about um, what the format would look like for this and if we wanted to talk about technology or current events or things, but I think we decided that the most interesting part of Maritime for you and I are the stories behind the people um, and sort of the legacy and legendary stories of the maritime industry and things like that. Don't you think that's... I think that's right. We can all be enamored by the equipment or whatever it is, but it's always the stories about who's doing it or, or, or how did it happen or you remember this guy or whatever the story may be uh, of how, how these things happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I met Maxie many, many years ago. We've had the pleasure of working together in a ton of different capacities and traveled all over and met all many, all kinds of different people. Um, but I think anyone who has met you has definitely either gotten a great story out of the conversation, a life lesson, um, some sort of wisdom or advice. And I just think that that's something really special about you. But tell, like, if someone just totally doesn't know you, Let's start from the beginning, Maxie. How in the world did you even get involved in this industry and in maritime and in dredging and ships and things? Well, honestly, I fell into it. I mean, we grew up on the water hunting and fishing and, and, and water skiing and all that stuff. But, uh, I, you know, I had this dream as a little boy to play baseball. And, uh, you know, as it always does, it comes to an end. Well, when that happened, I ended up in the military. But I, I fell into a job with the Corps of Engineers and a piece of it was dredging. So back to the water we went, and it's been 30 years of dredging and meeting wonderful, wonderful people who've left a mark on me, and it always ends up, uh, every, everybody who, who knows me uh, would say that. A two-minute conversation turns into a 30-minute conversation because we're just not short of words uh, in, in the world. And in the marine world, it's like that. If you're sailing across the ocean, I guess there's just time to kill. So there was always time for extra stories, and it's just bloomed into this and saying, I, I just know so many people that went before me, and I love to hear their stories. And coin this up and again here we are. I love it so much and you're right I mean anywhere you go in this industry when you start to talk some, to someone it's never a short conversation because there's always um, so much to share with other people and it's an exciting industry but it also has such incredible history and it's oftentimes humorous and wild and it can be you know, gritty and bootstrap. And I think that's why we chose In the Bilge is because we really like the idea of like peeling back the layers of it and finding the story beneath the story and um, making sure that those stories don't die, that we continue to honor the people in this industry and, and share their stories as well. So I'm really looking forward to all of the guests that we're going to have. And then also you and I getting to talk about um, about different things too. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and like I said, to reach out to, to the audience that we may gather and give us some ideas on what we can talk about. Uh, just to keep this going because there's no limit to the stories we want to hear and how we got here. Yeah. Were there podcasts 30 years ago, Maxie, when you started? Uh, oh my gosh, we, we, started, we started doing our reports on typewriters. <laughs> <laughs> the original podcast, the typewriters. <laughs> the typewriters. <laughs> but I mean, even then, like, so stories were told 
to one another, right? They were shared orally and, you know, like in circles and they just got passed along and down through generations, right? Yeah, before, well, before computers, you know, you actually had to go to the job. So it was a, a one hour boat ride or a two hour boat ride there. And then we were all living out of town. So naturally what happens at the end of the day, it's huddle up at the, at the bar, the restaurant and, and it's one more, one more beer, one more beer, one more, some more chicken wings or whatever <laughs> it is. And before you know it, you've packed in an entire day and an evening and it's just full of these stories. Getting uh, to know people. Yeah, yes. I love that. So I had a much different growing up in maritime. My um, parents owned shrimp boats and fleets of shrimping vessels and fishing vessels. So I grew up literally on a dock, um, spending all my time and summers there after school, um, getting to meet lots of different characters and getting to work um, in the fishing industry on the Gulf Coast. And so, um, you know, it just is a very comfortable place for me. But I can always remember just like these larger than life characters that came in and out of our lives with the different seasons and, um, you know, on the different boats and having to travel, you know, along the Gulf Coast to go and, you know, pick up people and pick up equipment and um, getting to know all the people. We were laughing the other day because someone was repairing a baseball net with the shrimp net, like the with the string yes, on it. Yes. And I was like, that's such a familiar piece of my past because we grew up on the docks with the guys repairing all the shrimp boat nets and like the green, you know, the, the fishing net and everything. And it's just amazing that like those, pe those pieces keep surfacing in life and it really becomes part of who you are, like part of that legacy. What a small world. My, uh, my maternal grandfather was a commercial fisherman. Really? So he, he, in the Gulf? He, in the Gulf. He, he would sail. Uh, they would tell the stories, but they would leave Morgan City and they would sail along the coast and they would, they would drop in to get fuel, ice, and continue. They'd shrimp down to Brownsville and yeah. shrimp their way back. And he did that for a living. And we watched him sew nets and, and all those things. Yeah. So uh, growing up around the fishing boats uh, in our hometown and what better place to be when they come in and get that fresh shrimp for nothing. I you know, know <laughs> I know. Amazing. We were, um, you know, like we just, the ultimate flattery was that like my dad had boats named after our, the kids. So like my brother had a boat named, his name is James, but they called him Jimbo growing up. So the Captain Jimbo was the big shrimp vessel. And then the Miss Elizabeth was our, the big oyster boat oh, in nice. the wintertime. So like we had all the seasons covered amongst siblings, but yeah, it's just such an interesting way of life and like it really becomes part of who you are and um, you know, like your outlook and I just can't ever imagine being anywhere except on the water, so. Yeah, so as we talked about, we got together here. I met you, you know, when I came over here in 2013, but yeah. you had been been around here since 2009, so you were like the, yeah. the, 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 the beginning uh, group of people. But how did you make your way from Galveston back to Galveston? Yeah, so I left for college. I was born on Galveston Island, so BOI, fourth generation. Um, I went off to college, and then I moved to the Panhandle, which is like the complete polar opposite of the Gulf Coast. Um, I worked in the horse industry, and but always very focused in marketing, and I loved relationship with people was like my wheelhouse. I loved getting to meet people and getting to travel and experience and, um, and kind of shape messaging and tell stories for companies. So I moved back to Galveston in 06. Um, we started working in industries together. I was doing marketing for a family of companies. and. Um, they had a dredging company and amongst other things and that's where you and I's paths crossed but it was a much different you know it was a very small company back then that grew into a really large company and along the way we've just gotten to do some really amazing projects and see the water from a completely unique view where we took something that 
could be considered very technical and sort of, you know, like a, a dirty job, sort of like micro dirty jobs, but make it really beautiful and show people a different side of it. And that's really what I love about what we do is, is getting to tell that story. Yeah, you've you put us up a good brand. Um, you know, there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes um, in what you do to make us look the way we do and, and what all the people that uh, we would define in the bilge uh, has done for the, the company I work for. Uh, but also the rest of the industry. So again, to, to reach out to whoever it is. We have dear, dear friends in the, the tugboat industry yeah. and supplying us fuel and, and whatever they do and everyone's got their story. So it'll be nice if we can get some participation and, and keep this alive for people to uh, share their stories with us. I know, it never fails if Maxie and I ever travel together places, we meet or he'll introduce me to people and inevitably it's like the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. The stories that they tell <laughs> um, about all their adventures and when things go wrong. And it's just astounding, you know, like the water stretches so far and people that are in maritime could have worked in off the coast of Africa, um, you know, in the Pacific and the Atlantic, like all over. We, you know, like our blinders sometimes are onto just the Gulf, but um, this industry is so big and they have so many cool adventures that span like across the globe which is wild like it's still this this industry is timeless and it knows no bounds so. it is it's the beginning of time to the end of time i imagine but the water the water calls us we we love it i don't know what it you can't explain what it does to you but it's just just nice to have the water uh you know whether it's listening to the waves or riding that crew boat and the, the hum of that crew boat will just put you somewhere when your yeah. frustrations are bothering you it'll it'll calm your nerves uh it's special it's yes. definitely special. Yeah. So we have got some events coming up, right? So we're going to the WIDA conference in July. Can you tell a little bit about what WIDA does and what the conference will hold? So the, the Western Dredging Association um, is, a, is an educational organization uh, to, to sort of pollinate and uh, uh, pollinate the education of, of dredging. Um, and the, the national conference is in Houston this year and uh, we look forward to being there. We're gonna have a booth. Uh, yeah. They were gracious enough to give us, uh, uh, give us a place and we're gonna host uh, the executive director there so he, he'll have his time to, yeah. to talk about what WIDA does and, and hopefully help those guys out and we'll get a chance to meet some, some special people that we've been knowing for years and years to, uh, to share some of their personal stories with us. I know, I'm so excited. It's gonna be a great, great time. And then hopefully we'll be at Workboat later on in 2022. And that is just a wild time. There are so many great people there um, that I think we'll get to share stories with and, and share the stage with too. Yeah, Workboat's gonna be fun. We've got, again, friends, uh, again, in the, the, the industry that builds the vessels. Uh, it goes deep with those guys and it's lifelong work for them. So it'll be neat to hear their, their stories and their pains and their laughter uh, as yeah. well. What do you think is the most unique thing about maritime, about the industry? You know, the people are unique. Yeah. They, they are unique. <laughs> um, you know, we've got several of them around us, uh, but it's just something about the water. The people will leave the industry and swear they'd never come back. And before you know it, they're like a boomerang and right back in the water. Yeah there's like such a family to it. It really is like, there's no pretentiousness to maritime whatsoever. Um, you know, like whether you work primarily in an office or whether you're out on the boats, like I think there's a kinship that happens at least that I've yeah. experienced anyway, where, um, you know, it's just really welcoming and that's, that's really different too. And you get a view out of your window that, uh, <laughs> that, that people just don't get it. You get to kind of take it for granted that you just, you're out there, there's the water, there's the birds. Yeah. Uh, wh whether you're working, you know, I know the, the guys that worked on the oil rigs or maybe in deep sea when you're in hundred foot seas, it might be some rough days. Yeah. Uh, 
but you still have a view that they don't have in other places. Yeah, I always <laughs> think that in like no shade to the Midwest whatsoever, but I'm like, <laughs> if I had to get up every day and look at a cornfield or, That's you right. know, just like open plains, even when I lived in Amarillo, you know, it's very flat and it's yeah. not much to look at or smell because it's all cows. <laughs> and, That's right. Um, but like the experience of like just getting up and having the water there every day is such a huge blessing and it's so beautiful no matter where you're at. It is. I think we really are just looking for opportunities to talk to people. If they have stories to share with us, we would love to have people on the podcast to like join us and, and share, you know, their unique perspective or their point of view. And it's not just limited to dredging, right? We're No, absolutely not. I think to, to, to broaden it out and talk about all of our neighbors and friends, you know, from, from the pilots who who make sure the, the, the traffic moves safely to the Coast Guard that, that looks out for people's safety and well-being. Uh, to the surfers, come come tell us something about a surfer and how you have the courage yeah. to, to just say, I'm quitting my job Thursday because the weather's bad and the waves are up. <laughs> <laughs> come and tell us about that. Maxie, how did you get started in dredging in the 90s? Like, what, what path led you there? So just very lucky, uh, I was home on leave, um, after Desert Storm and I stopped into the job service and lo and behold there was a job with the Corps of Engineers for a, an, an honorably discharged veteran and uh, through a few people I had known um, I was fortunate to land a job with the Corps of Engineers and, and you know their, their mission is, is, is in large part navigation and flood control so when I went to work for them I spent time seasonally on dredges so yeah. I've been fortunate to be on most dredges in the country when I worked for the government and and so I did that for for years and they actually taught me because I came out of a communications uh, background in the, in the military um, so, so you they, were on dredges for the Corps like outside of just one particular private and like privately held company you were like on all dredges like, yeah just I was a construction inspector so whatever whatever company had a contract in our area you, you, you were the inspector. I, uh, I applied and, and got a job uh, with one of the country's largest dredging contractors as a project manager and set out on, on my career to do that on the opposite side of the fence as the contractor working yeah. a, a lot for the, the government. So traveled around with the family and did some large jobs uh, up and down the East Coast and through the Gulf for seven or eight years and really you know enjoyed it and learned a lot and, and met so many of these people that, that we still yeah. get to see today. Yeah. So it's a blessing to be such a small industry and, and see people that, uh, that have been in the business 30, 40, 50 years uh, yeah. and, and you stay in it. It's, it's, it's like a, you know, it's a fraternity, sorority full of, full of men and women that have been there for forever. Yeah. It's nice. Do you think, are there like a lot of young people getting, do you see like a continuing generation after generation of people getting involved in dredging and I think we see that from the crew perspective. A lot, a lot of us tend to uh, follow uh, the family path. And for me, uh, the oil field really slowed down in the mid 80s and there were no oil field jobs. So I'd have probably followed my dad, uh, my dad's path into the oil field, but there were no jobs. Well, that ended up with my, my joining the Air Force and yeah. that path just, just turned. But we see a lot of the crew people follow that way. Uh, the you know the, the the engineers and and, and managers uh, some some are family businesses some are not uh, we find a lot of people who uh, you know if they live in a remote location 
you know, we, we've got a couple of people that work with us now that, uh, you know, they, they, they really live on family land. They'll have large pieces of property and they don't want to move. So they find themselves in these, these nice jobs where they can travel back and forth and have both lives, the best of both worlds, and yeah. they'll make a career. There's been a gap, uh, a little bit of a gap uh, when the industry's doing well. You know, we, we're, we're right here close to Houston. Well, they, the oil companies and the big businesses can, can really take some talent from you. Yeah. But, uh, but a lot of people will get in it. If, if you can last four or five years, you, you, the chances are you become a long timer. Yeah. I love, <laughs> there's like so many characters, but you do, you see like nephews and uncles and fathers and sons and, you know, people that that really do like follow those footsteps and come yeah. up through it. And I just think that is so cool. To and it's interesting that. enough that, that uh, I skipped a generation because my grandmother had two or three brothers that worked in the dredging business. Okay, uh, really? Yes. They, huh. So they were building levees through South Louisiana yeah. in, the, in the 40s. And, and they, they worked aboard the dredges, and it was, again, like my grandfather, it was all fishing community. Yeah. But when the dredging companies came to town, they offered steady work with, with benefits. Yeah. And so people opted for a, for a job and a career. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm just glad that I, get to came, I got to come back to Galveston and, um, you know, be a part of it again, because it really is special. And Galveston's been fun. Um, yeah. You know, just the water. You, you can't say enough about the water. Uh, the people. Um, there's an eclectic group around Galveston. You can find one of anything definitely. in Galveston, so it makes for some interesting conversation there, too. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, I had no idea. Tell me more about, like, the dredges on the East Coast. Is there a big difference between East Coast dredging and golf dredging? Like, No, it, it looks similar, but, the you know, the projects move around, so you, you know, ideally when a, when a piece of equipment's coming idle, you bid a job, and wherever it takes you, it takes you. Yeah. So. That's amazing. What about the river systems? Do they dredge rivers Same. too? Yeah, they do. Up they the Mississippi do. and the Mississippi River, the Mobile River, the Calcasieu River, uh, and you get over on the East Coast. It's you know, Charleston and Savannah, and you know, some of them are ship channels, some of them are rivers. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's the dredging and never stops. Uh, good industry. Uh, been a great, great career. Man, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It has been. It's been. It's been cool to watch. Like the equipment grow too and like the different pieces that are coming out and just how quickly it's moving and keeping up. It's like just really exciting to watch it grow. Yeah, and we're fortunate now the, the, the funding has been good for the government to maintain mm -hmm. our infrastructure, uh, which has given a lot of the contractors uh, the confidence to build new equipment. Yeah. So now we see we see an influx of new equipment in the market and I think with the oil field slowing a bit, we're seeing some good young talent come yeah. around so that'll be nice to get some get some young people uh, new ideas new technology you know a, a lot of us old-timers you know we we all long for someone to follow us along that can help us find the any key you know <laughs> we're, so, we're, so, we're so lost when it comes to when it comes to trying to get things done and uh, even if we're doing something I, I I have my own version of Excel I hunt and peck around it and far from the most efficient guy so we we love to have our young people around us that that that, that teach us and they'll, they'll help evolve into yeah. the next generation of, of leaders and, and managers and and supervisors, you know. Well, we can't do it without you. And I can say, like, personally for me, you've been a mentor for me, but you've always had this really nice open-door policy where, like, you're so willing to share information and to share knowledge and wisdom with us younger people. And I'm not that young anymore, but <laughs> um, the generation below me, too. And, like, it's always been really admirable to me that you have never seen like male female in the workplace and especially in maritime i feel like that's very rare that like you have a lot of team members who are female 
and that has never even been a factor that just you have great talented people and it doesn't matter how old you are uh, whether you're a man or a woman um, but you really look for the potential in people and you've always believed in me too and just never thought that like I was successful as a businesswoman but just that I was a business owner and that you wanted to encourage that success and I've always appreciated that about you. Well thanks for the compliment I, I think we can probably all reflect um, we're, we're a product of our environment and I you know mm -hmm. um, I grew up with a dad who was a determined provider um, a mom who was a wonderful caretaker but in, in my career I've, I've always had these mentors uh, going back to the military and you can still remember the names of the people even when I worked for the Corps of Engineers that those people that put their arm around you and said young man don't give up it's gonna be okay and and when you get that inspiration you, you, you hopefully you learn from it and you know when you're when you're in the throes of frustrations at work that you can find the empathy when somebody else has a problem and and I found that to always be the dividing factor if you can take a deep breath be objective about the problem and then build yourself and at Callan we didn't you know we didn't you have to cut that but um, <laughs> but you know when you talk about building your teams um, yeah. I'm not a great individual sport player I, you know I'm, I'm fair <laughs> at best at golf I'm fair at best at bowling but on all the teams I've played on we were above average two champions. So when you build your team, you say, we're all gonna have a weak spot, we're all gonna have a strong spot, and if we can truly just put all the egos down at the door. Yeah. Um, I like that open door policy. You can say anything you want. When you close the door, let's just don't embarrass each other out in public. <laughs> and you know, there was a time when I think we had nine females and eight males, and we just got it done. And yeah. some days we scream, some days we smile. Um, but we committed that it was never personal. It was always about the work. Yeah. And and we've built this uh, by we can. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's it that's the most rewarding piece. Yeah. Is, you know the equipment will outlive us. Um, and and when you do that, someone says you know uh, uh, you you won't see it, but the number of people that attend your funeral will will be uh, the mark of what you've left behind. Yeah. You know, and yeah. some people won't be able to go geographically, but but that's the piece is where did you leave the mark? Well, I, there's a lot of people out there I won't see, you know, and, it, you know, uh, Sergeant Jesse Green was our first sergeant, uh, Sergeant Steve Norton I played fast pitch softball with, but those two guys always took the time. And at the time they were old men. Well, I was 21 or 22 years old, so they were probably 35 to 38 <laughs> years old. But those are the guys that would put their arm around you and say, yeah. don't let this get you down. Keep pushing, keep driving. And it lasted. That yeah. inspiration lasted. And look, you're still speaking their names and you know you what, like, yeah, absolutely. They made an impression on you. You know, you it's remember so your important. drill instructor's name. He was a tech sergeant Grissom and you, I can remember that name for all the, <laughs> the screaming from day yeah. one. But when they ran you out the door on the last day, you felt like you could do anything because they, they built that confidence and they taught you and trained you. Yeah. Well, that's our job is to, to, you know, look, it's how many times you get up. It's not how many times you fall down. That's right. I love that. Um, I've been reading a lot of Simon Sinek lately, and um, he has a book, and the very first page talks about, like, we're all on this journey, and there's a fork in the road, and one sign says victory, and the other says fulfillment, and that when we just play for win or lose, then there's only two options, either we win or we lose. But when we like play for fulfillment, when we work for, for fulfillment, we're building legacy and like how long can we keep this idea or this passion yeah. um, or this solution going by just you know building generations of people who believe in the same you know ideas and, and passions. And I love that idea that like 
we're really only as good as the people that we leave behind and, and how much we invest in other people. And so well, it's interesting in all the good work you do. And I, and I say this to the people I work with now, it's it, it's really rewarding what we've accomplished. Yeah. But it but the fulfilling part is who we get to do it with. We've yeah. built this team of people and we yeah. we have our lumps and our bumps. But you wouldn't pick a different group of people. I don't think we could pick a better group of people. Could we be different? Absolutely. But it's so fun that we know each other. We know our families. We, we know our pains. We have this respect. Uh, we try our best not to score keep. Yeah. Uh, we're human. We're yeah. competitive. But, uh, but when you build that, you, then you get that sense of fulfillment um, yeah. that, you know, we all wish we could have gotten much younger. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really do. It's a huge blessing that we get to love what we do every day. I mean, so. I, I look at myself and I listen to, you know, we, we all have we all have mentors and, you know, um, one of the largest mentors. Uh, uh, she may not like me calling her a mentor, but she's she's my she's my partner. Right. Yeah. Um, but my wife and I did, you know, but it's that piece of her saying, when I first met you, you were a young manager and I've watched you grow. And if I put myself back at 40 years old, when I was 40, I thought I knew it all. And, yeah. and to be here later and, and, and at least get to hear that I watch you make progress and it's nice to see the empathy side of you. Yeah. It feels good to have, have your person tell you, uh, Hey, you know, watching you grow and it's good stuff. Yeah, you know, and then we stuff. can keep growing. Like yes. we're always growing yes. and evolving. And, and uh, it is, and it you know it, it you know you don't like to have regrets in life, but man, do I wish I could have got it better <laughs> sooner. <laughs> same, same, Maxie. <laughs> well, I'm really excited that we're doing this because it really this was a concept that we started talking about over two years ago, back in 2020, and um, just wanting to make sure that like we were able to share like the dynamic of our relationship together with other people, the things that we're passionate about, um, and our different perspectives, and just to talk to really interesting people. You and I are both really passionate about that too. We are people, we're people people and we like um, the is. relationship side of things. And yeah. yeah, that was our whole goal when we set out. So I'm really, really excited that we're getting to start on it now. Well, I'm going to go on a hunt for some good names. Um, like I said, there's, there's some people out there that, that professionally I admire. There's yeah. people out there personally I really, really like being around. I'm going to go on a hunt for a few names of people that can uh, can really help us maybe light, light this up and tell some stories. And, yes. uh, and and, and, and see if we can have some fun here. Absolutely. And our audience, too. If you guys know of someone who would be interesting to, for us to have on the podcast, 100%, you can find us on inthebills.com, um, online and on podcast platforms everywhere. We would love to hear your suggestions on who should come on the show with us.